1: Four West Seventh Street in Ebor City, the place where it all began, Chillin Art Glass Gallery and CBD Emporium.
0: It's a CBD it's
1: haberdashery. It's at the haberdashery. <laughs> it's time to jump into the rotation. <laughs> That looks so semi-professional.
0: It's not professional at all.
1: <laughs> Stop, tell them, tell them. Well, I am your your uh, political you're director of Suncoast Normal. You're trying to time. flatter
0: me all morning, man. Trying to like tell tell me my graphics are good and bring bread and
1: butter and coffee. Did I say your graphics are good?
0: They're I must have
1: missed that. Hey, semi-professional. And this and. and <laughs> And this is our Deputy Director, Carlos, don't call me Pedro Ermita. And from above the Beltway...
0: That's specific, Pedro.
1: That's that's specific, Pedro, yes. (laughs) And from above the Beltway, our Executive Director, Chris Kano, who has got some interesting news that came out of Congress this last week, where they came up with a report with a very interesting finding. What was it, Chris?
2: Well, you know, the Congressional Research Service has put out a report that flatly says president lacks the constitutional authority to end cannabis prohibition by executive order. Why the fuck? <laughs> now, normal. That can't be true. That can't, gotta be Congress people trying to flex your dicks and shit. Now, normal has long argued that the president can set the tone for national political discussions surrounding marijuana. Correct. That office does lack the unilateral authority to repeal marijuana prohibition via the stroke of a pen. That authority relies primarily with the 535 members of Congress and sweeping federal changes that will likely only occur when the majority of members from both chambers advance legislation to the president's desk. And so
1: that's, that's kind of like the fact that the president can actually authorize funding to go towards somebody, but the Congress has to give them spending authority to be able to use that for various projects, correct? Correct.
2: Well, this is why constituents need to continue to pressure their members of Congress to advance this issue and support the legislative efforts to end the federal criminalization of cannabis. I got to say, guys, I'm uh, you guys know
0: I'm Mr. Joe Schmo. I just own a head shop. I don't know what the fuck you guys are talking about. Can you get can we make things a little bit simpler?
1: Yeah. Ex- explain it to Jose Sixpack L- over here. L-
0: listen here, man. <laughs> All right. So I, I hear the way our government works, the president can veto shit. Yeah. Right? So, like they made this law that cannabis is illegal and put it on like this controlled substance list. President can't just veto the controlled substance list?
2: So the controlled substances act. Uh, does not provide a direct role for the president in the classification of controlled substances, nor does Article II of the United States Constitution grant the president power in this area. Thus, it appears the president cannot directly deschedule or reschedule marijuana by executive order. It was essentially made illegal by a bill in Congress that Nixon signed, and so it's going to take a bill in Congress for Biden to sign. But you can't retroactively veto something from 50 years ago that's already law. However, it does have a clause in there where the attorney general
1: could actually reschedule or deschedule.
2: <laughs> so Um, Cory Booker, Senator from New Jersey and Elizabeth Warren, Senator from Massachusetts have drafted a letter to us attorney general, Merrick Garland, asking him to initiate the process to decriminalize cannabis. Now his office has not provided a response yet, but the president in that way does possess the discretion to issue mass pardons and to provide general amnesty to a class of people, such as those with criminal records for federal marijuana violations. And, you know, essentially, the, the Department of Justice can be directed to exercise this discretion to not prosecute some or all marijuana-related offenses. So, uh, how the fuck are we going to legalize weed in the president can't you know, veto it? Congress all has to like vote on it. Yeah. Like, we got to get either the cannabis administration and opportunity act passed, or we got to get the more act passed. So you have okay. the Senate version, the cannabis administration opportunity act, and you have the house version, the more act, we got to get one, of the, one or both of those bills passed and get that language to match up between the two houses and get it to the president's desk.
1: Now, we got a third player that, that popped up this last week. It's a bill that has not been filed yet, but it's still being uh, circulated around in Congress in order to add certain things to it, like, like a private markup kind of situation. And that is a bill from a a, a Republican uh, congresswoman who actually has kind of like uh, tamped down the process. It's more along the lines of decriminalization as opposed to legalization.
2: Well, there's no social equity involved in that bill. And I, that's a big part of the other bills is addressing the fact that the war on drugs has specifically targeted certain communities in this country has over criminalized those communities i mean you know you you hear these stories of like a, a baby in miami who had a flashbang grenade go off in their their crib because the police had the wrong house that they were trying to you know raid that they thought was a trap house You know, so when you think about it, it's like, wow. Okay. Well, the Cuban American community has been hit hard by this. The African American community has been hit hard by this. You know, you you see, even in Tampa, uh, there was a young man. um, uh, It was a white kid who got, who got murdered by the TPD uh, because they kicked in his door because uh, uh, some crackhead snitch that they had on payroll said he was, he was a major player. And it turns out the guy only had a couple of dime bags.
1: Can't trust crackheads. Fucked up, man. You you can't trust crackheads. And when I worked in Washington D.C., I I occasionally had to go to various crack houses to find people who had been uh, in contact with somebody who had HIV, in particular needle drug exchange users. And there are a lot of those type of houses in D.C., especially in 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 the southeast area. And uh, it's got to be a hard situation for any any folks over in D.C. to get anything moving along those lines. Of course, they have this situation where the Congress actually controls them. D.C. actually went legal before Congress came back and said, no, you can't do that, which, which is kind of an interesting situation. And so, that
2: happened back in the 90s. So D.C. has an interesting system to where it's a gray market. You know, you have these guys who uh, under I-71 um, can gift you cannabis um, and, and, you know, they'll sell nominal things like stickers and such. Uh, you know, there's
0: a, I-70, uh, I-71, seventy I you're talking about a law or like an overpass?
2: That's a, that's a law. That's a, <laughs> that's like an initiative that they passed.
0: You're like, uh, I got to hold me under 171 too, man. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> I, you know, but uh, the city, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, there was a city council meeting where they were going to like, you know, raid these shops and try and shut them down. And and then the, at the at the eleventh hour, they decided to pull that part out of there and move forward out of the bill. But you know there is a gray market here that's actually thriving in many cases, and these are future you know business owners. And what we're seeing is that uh, in the gray market, these folks are trying to set themselves up to be successful. But the truth is, you got the same problem popping up that, that we have in Florida, where there's a, a lot of corporate interests that want to corner the market that that have the money. To pay for a regulatory structure that's going to price out, uh, you, you know, your average mom and pop type of shop, your, your, your average, you know, small business owner, if you will.
1: I think we should probably delve into uh, the situation between these two major uh, groups that have major stakes in the cannabis industry, the Suits and the Stoners. Which is uh, something that, that Andy DiFrancesco often talks about. These these are two major players, and they're both trying to get as much as they can out of uh, out of this industry. And it looks like the suits are kind of winning right now.
0: The suits got the money,
1: and that's the and, and that way it is in bank. Florida too. I mean, if you have the money, then you can get into the business, whether you are actually qualified or not. In some cases,
0: well, well I mean, aren't they going to open up some licenses? Uh, sometime. At some point, I think it's like next year. They they said that they were going to open up the Pickford license, but it was like going to be like twice as much money to to get
1: that one. And they're not going to have the other licenses ready to be given out until the Pickford license goes out. But there's already currently uh, lawsuits against it, as well as uh, investigations as to why that uh, uh, that the, application fee is twice as high as it was. For the original group of uh, white folks. That yeah, came like in and it, took over. It, it's even more than doubled the original price, right? And yeah. compared to Oklahoma, yeah. where the, uh, where the uh, application price is $2,500. 2500 And we're 142000 That's so, That's I could afford 2500 Yeah, but I, could you afford I, the infrastructure after that? You have to be able to have both the application fee and something to actually apply with.
0: Can I sell weed out of Chillum?
1: You can, but I wouldn't suggest it.
0: Okay, I'll do it.
1: <laughs> I'll do it. I mean, you've, um, you've not, had, I'm not saying you had employees that have done it. That's not possible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's happened before. Not anymore. They, we 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 fired all of them. Though. Hey, you got to protect your business. Yeah. But, uh, OK, so go, going back to the whole president can't legalize weed thing, I, I just I'm remembering now all these times. I remember Obama came came out when he was president and said something about like, I think it's time that we reconsider cannabis being a schedule one drug. And I remember like talking so much shit about Obama because I remember at the time it was like there were like twice as many raids on dispensaries under Obama's administration than George Bush's administration, you know, not to talk about the president that came after Obama I really don't know those numbers, but, um, <laughs> but o- Obama had a lot of, a lot of people in the industry that were like really pissed off a lot of liberals in the industry that were like really pissed off at him. Um, and then, and then I remember him coming out and saying that and I'm like, what the fuck, dude? You're the president. You have the power to change things, but he really didn't. And I feel like an asshole. And I just wanted to confess that to you guys. I'm sorry, Obama.
1: Well, one, one of the expressions I've heard is that the president, the executive branch, sets the tone, and the legislation uh, sets the, the, the policy. That is basically the way all, it always works. It used to be back in uh, a century ago that they, the Congress basically only controlled the, cur- the purse strings, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, what taxes were out, what, what money was coming in, and in fact, the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937 was actually a monetary pro, uh, policy where you had to pay a fee in order to grow it, and you had to pay a fee in order to buy etc., et cetera, and anybody who didn't pay those fees uh, okay, automatically got arrested, mm-hmm. and it just went on from there, but it started just basically as an economic policy. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even new at that point in time because they also had before that, even in the Food and Drug Act of one thousand, nine hundred and six, where pharmacists had to sign off on every single little bit of cannabis that was dispensed. They didn't like it because they had to buy a, a tax stamp with each time that they gave one out. So it was it was a burdensome process, made it making uh, folks to feel like the bureaucracy was was hurting them. Wasn't
0: it something like you had to bring your marijuana into government building to have it inspected? For yep. the marijuana tax act, yep, and it's like if you don't have that that stamp, you'd get arrested anyway. So how are you going to get into the building?
1: And it was hard to get the BR, get the stamps in the first place, which is one of the reasons it became so illegal. Mm. The first person to get arrested though was a farmer and not a user. Oh yeah, a guy I, who,
0: I think I remember his mugshot. Like he like seriously looks like a fucking hick farmer.
1: <laughs> no, no I, he looks like Joe
0: Redner. I'm gonna a little, little less hair. Find this guy's picture. <laughs> uh, you guys talk I'm going to do research here
2: <laughs> No uh, You know I think um, One of the things that you were talking about Carlos Was you know the in, the uptick In federal raids During the Obama administration I want to point out it wasn't until 2014 When Congress actually Passed legislation that prevented The Department of Justice from doing raids In legal states So you know the, the one of the one of the most important things that, yeah, and, and I'm seeing some comments here. One person thing says they think Trump could have got reelected if he had descheduled cannabis in his term in office. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that um, it, what, you know, what the president decides to push through Congress uh, oftentimes will get pushed. You know, um, we saw this infrastructure deal that President Biden has been pushing uh, for the past year, and they finally got it done and passed it, and they're going to put it on his desk. That
0: seems to even in local government. Like I remember, like I'm I'm drawing a similarity here to when DeSantis uh, got flower uh, was smoking legalized for medical marijuana.
1: Yeah, he didn't actually do it. He he he, he demanded the legislature do it, and yeah. they did it. So
0: that that's a similar thing here. Like you guys are saying, president can't veto anything, but he could like be like, yo, you guys better do this shit, or I'm gonna throw a fit.
1: Yep. And to be honest with you, the last administration was actually doing more to stop legalization as opposed to, to move it forward. There was actually a, a uh, an office inside the White House that was basically there to scrutinize all state laws to find flaws in them to see if they could take them down. So everybody, this is Gary's brother. <laughs> no, no, no. But first guy no, no, to no, get take, arrested for marijuana. Take a look at the picture on the right. Give, give him more hair and a pigtail, and that's Joe Redner.
0: I, I swear to God, me. Yo, no, for real. You, he has he, the eyes. He does. He does look like Redner.
1: Dang, it's so funny. <laughs> I don't see it. It's it's all in there. It's all in there. What's it uh, Sam Caldwell? That's his name. Yeah. Sam Caldwell. Yeah. And, and sammy was the first person to get arrested and he wasn't even a user he was just a grower and we still have we still can't grow right now unless you uh put a lot of money into the kitty and that kitty being the government kitty right now at this point in time you gotta you gotta put in those taxes and so there again who's in charge of the industry is it the suits or is it the stoners and who is the beneficiaries of, of the product so uh, this
0: the suits took over
1: suits have definitely
0: taken over the suits took over through the political process
1: we're talking about what is a a 4.2 billion dollar i mean if,
0: if you you guys were talking about dc uh becoming a gray area like in the mid 90s and like really you could trace the industry back to 92 in san francisco
2: yeah
0: um yeah for under under influence under city government not even like city law but city influence right and i'm not gonna go too far into that but Back then, it was all about the hippies. Back then, it was the hippies that had the the balls to break the law, and and you know you needed somebody back then that was was willing to do what was right, um, even when it meant going to jail. Even because, I mean, a lot of these hippies, like Dennis Peron, did it. Like the first dispensary, right? He he opened it up because his boyfriend had AIDS. And he wanted to provide a a better quality of life for for other people that had AIDS. So, like, these guys are just, like, doing what's fucking right. And they don't care to get arrested. And now that the suits are taken over, we're not really making as much progress as we once
1: were. We're just following the law. Well, on the positive side, there are some suits who are getting arrested, but mostly it's for uh, monetary fraud. (laughs) Pump pump and dump schemes, uh, that kind of situation.
0: Did Bierman get arrested? Is that what?
1: (laughs) No, no, but... The, well, uh, speaking of Beerman, uh, Adam Adam is our is a friend of the uh, the shop here, not really, and uh, he he was the one who f- helped found MedMen, who fabulously in New York City when they were when they were working on pr- programs over there, came out against HomeGrow, and that uh, led to that South Park show where the, the folks with integrity were being told to help the, help them uh, stop HomeGrow, mm-hmm. which was kind of which was a hilarious episode by the way.
0: And, and I mean, they lobbied for that here in Florida. And,
1: and Adam, uh, is, with all of his enthusiasm and his passion, was also highly greedy, mm-hmm. and uh, he it actually made it so the executive compensation was in the six figures, and the employees were getting less than minimum wage. And there was also all sorts of employee complaints. And eventually, the investors started noticing that they were really overspending when they shouldn't have, like buying a ten thousand uh, dollar table for a. Um, a conference room, that kind of thing, or a hundred thousand dollar table, and eventually they they took Adam out. The board took Adam out, and now MedMen used to have ten dispensaries here in Florida. They were down to four at one point in time because they had to close them down because they owed so much money, and then the Soroyas put in a uh, hundred million dollar backstop of stock, and this other company uh, that bought up uh, Gotham Green's uh, Green Gotham's uh, debt to. Uh, MedMen, which MedMen owed them about $256 million and bought that debt for $165 million, uh, Tilray did. So they're they're back in business through money from other people, and they're trying to move forward. But I think they were gone from Florida a bit too long. And what I mean by that is if you haven't seen the ad that – MedMen put out this last week. Now, everybody loves discounts, right? Everybody likes it. it used to be, if you're lucky, if you get uh, 15% off, 20% off, now you can see 30%, 40% off. But they put out an ad this week that was kind of, I think, hilarious. It basically says, if you go to MedMen this week and spend your entire allotment in any way, shape, or form, and spend at least $500, you are entitled to a 10% discount. Isn't that lovely? I don't think they get exactly where Florida is right now. If they think that anybody wants to spend their entire allotment all in one fell swoop and spend $500 just to get a 10% discount, I think they're a little off base. What do you think, Chris?
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I Men is the, the, the typical example of the cannabis suits you know, that's just a stereotypical example.
1: They I, have and, the Apple Store of, of cannabis and, dispensaries. And right?
0: That that definitely scares me when somebody says that like this is the Apple Store. Like it's more about appearances than it's is about you know distributing the medicine or the product or whatever it is providing the service. Um, I don't know, man. I, it's just, I, I, the, the, it's definitely the 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 stoners are no longer in charge we're along for the ride. Um, if we could be in charge, we, we would be but the suits have fucking lobby, uh, you know, the lawmakers and we're stuck with people like Medman and, you know, or tree leaf.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting what's what's, you know, you, you talk about that Carlos, because there's concerns in Virginia, Virginia. Um, last week, you know, their their house of delegates, and, and their governor's mansion went to the Republicans. And uh, re- the newly-elected Republican governor, Glenn Yokin has spoken skeptically about marijuana legalization, but his campaign did acknowledge they will not seek to repeal the adult use laws. You know, 68% of Virginians uh, support legalizing marijuana for adult use. Now, the problem now is they were hoping that you know if the Democrats had held on uh, their allies in the legislature, Virginia Normal was saying that, that they were going to have an expedited retail sales and cannabis business licensing coming out next year. But, you know, like you said, now with this new Republican governor and, the, you know, and the suits being able to step in, the biggest fear is Virginia is going to create a system like Florida. And and that is a, a major concern uh, for our chapters up there and for folks throughout the DMV.
1: Kids, remember, don't be Florida. That's, that, that, that's really important. Florida has, has a habit of complicating things.
2: Well, I—, I, I I saw a meme. I saw a meme on on Facebook that said make. It was a red hat and it said make America Florida. And I was like, don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby? Isn't that
0: isn't that DeSantis's bid for president? I,
2: I
1: mean, God bless Colby and other folks who had the Floridians for Freedom thing, which was wow, fifty six words that basically allowed everybody to use utilize the plan in any way, shape, or form. But that is too simple for Florida law. It is just plain too simple. And then two. To accentuate that, we got a new uh, a legalization bill that came up this last week from Representative Umfrey. Umfrey, Gary, and,
0: maybe you should make this legalization bill clearer for us.
1: Okay, why don't you go ahead and throw that. In.
0: of the videos now, it's just now they can hear us. (laughs) Where'd Kano go? Oh my gosh, Kano died. (laughs) Kano's no longer with us, ladies and gentlemen.
1: (laughs) Well, anyways, so we we had we had a bill that uh, we had a a ballot measure which never got any more than like seventeen thousand, I think, petitions or more than that. That a lot of people worked very long and hard on, but they could not get the money together to go ahead and do the big push like what regulate florida is doing right now and <clears throat> it would have been a it would have been too simple i think for florida to be able to handle especially as far as legislature is concerned because they have to come in and create the implementation law for those amendments that come in and god knows that can tangle things up so they try to create laws that will create as few tangles as possible and like i said uh, representative Humphrey put out a a legalization bill this week okay 432 pages is in this law that is, for a state law, humongous. In fact, the title itself is seven pages long. And the title is basically an index of all the things that are in it. So you imagine like a table of contents that's seven pages long, and you know exactly what we're dealing with as far as that is concerned. And they've got a lot of, a lot of good things in it, but people will often ask, why does it have to be so complicated? Why does it have to be so convoluted? Why can't we just have legalization and home grow and just say, boom, that's it, yeah, why we're can't, done. Why can't the president <clears throat> just veto this? Because because <laughs> politics is tangled. Because capitalism is tangled.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and, and this, this brings me to my next topic here. Now, I'm, I don't want anybody to think that uh, I, I'm a communist because I'm not. But uh, I have read the, the manifesto of, of Karl Marx, and he did say that the struggle of, of class against class is a political structural struggle. And by that, it means it's always basically the haves versus the have-nots, and whoever is in charge can, can control the rules. Now, of course, there was a lot of issues with, with Marx's theories because it created. It believed in this ideal person that was an altruist that didn't mind the redistribution of wealth across an entire society. We aren't like that. We, here in this country especially, have a certain attitude of greed, and that is where capitalism comes in, because capitalism is one of the major influencers, uh, of the economy when, when capitalism is in charge and the whole concept of capitalism is that you have to maximize profits mm-hmm. whereas the whole concept of Marxism in its purest form is to take care of people's essential needs
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and making making people the ultimate goal uh, to, to help as opposed to just somebody else's bottom line because it does create a minority which has a lot of the money and majority that does not. Mm. That is basically the situation we have with capitalism. But we are working with a capitalist society as far as cannabis is concerned. Mm-hmm. Do you agree or disagree?
0: Uh, I, I agree on everything you just said, as a matter of fact. I, I, I'm a little bit more educated on communism than you may think there, Gary. I, and- I, I have a feeling. Well, <laughs> in
1: fact, in fact uh, your family came over here because they didn't quite like the, uh, well, they didn't, the political they didn't, structure.
0: They didn't like Castro's political structure, and I, I do believe uh, Castro operated under the guise of communism. Uh, I really look at Castro as a totalitarian dictator.
1: Yeah, and Marxism as a whole, as an economic structure, does not have a top down uh, <clears throat> policy making where you have one person who controls everything. It yeah. doesn't really have an authoritarian figure.
0: Yeah, it's actually more like anarchy than anything else.
1: Actually, it's more like it's more like. Have you ever lived in a commune? Uh, I have not, but I may start one one day. Okay, that's where basically everybody owns everything. Yeah, essentially. And so therefore everybody shares equally and everybody works to make it all that make the whole thing work because everybody is right. responsible for the whole as opposed, as opposed to themselves. Mm-hmm. And that is basically the way it, it, it is supposed to work in an ideal society. We had a number of, of utopian societies that popped up in the 1900s to try to achieve that. But a, lot of, a lot of times they fell apart, you know, kind of the Walden pond kind of folks. And it would be great to be able to have that kind of situation where, we can have a little bit more egalitarianism when it comes to cannabis is concerned because a lot of people who need it can't afford it plain and simple. I'm sorry, but I cannot afford to go and spend $500 in in one fell swoop for my medicine Mm -hmm. and most people can't. Mm -hmm. And so we have to try to find a way to drive those prices down. But how do you drive a price down when you don't have a free market? And in Florida we currently do not have a free market. 22 licenses, does not create a free market whereas there are other states that have thousands of well, licenses
0: i I think if I could uh, you know jump in here Gary yeah um I think uh, if we're regulating everything in this market then why don't we regulate the price
1: I mean that cause that's considered price fixing and that's illegal oh <laughs> well, what the fuck?
2: Just, just to make things more confusing. Hold on, Hold on. why is price fixing illegal? Because De Beers controls seventy percent of the world diamond supply, and they they set, essentially set the price. So how is it Nobody, let's nobody not, regulates
1: the De Beers. Let's not <laughs> any more than anybody regulated the Rothschilds as far as the uh the banking industry and, in and,
0: Europe. And, and let's not forget that we're talking about the cannabis industry here. So essentially, it's on a federal level. This whole thing's illegal. Yeah, can break one more law,
2: at least for now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Gary, you pointed out this new bill that that Representative Bumfroy had has put out, and I'm just just blazing through it right now. And one of the things that stands out to me is it allows for 30 grams of uh, legal possession. Like it has possession limits. So uh, under this bill, 30 grams of cannabis flower will be legal to possess. Um, 500 milligrams of that's pounds, dudes. You know, yes, that's a little bit over an ounce. Uh, 500 milligrams of THC contained in an infused product uh, or five grams of concentrate. And those are for Florida residents. If you're not a Florida resident, those are cut in half. So you can have, you know, 15 grams of cannabis flower, uh, two and a half, uh, two and one half grams of concentrate and 250 milligrams contained in a cannabis infused product. Which is batshit crazy to me, you know, in a, in a, in, a, in a way, because you're saying that if I'm an out-of-state resident, I need to buy the 250 milligram uh, chocolate bar because the 500 milligram chocolate bar is illegal for me to have. That is just, you know, from a consumer point of view, stupid. And I want to <laughs> know who wrote this 432-page bill because it wasn't us.
1: <laughs>
2: it was And I know us. it wasn't the representative. I'm gonna be clear. I know for a fact no representative took took how many months to write a 432 page bill. So what so lobby you're, you're,
1: you're lobbyists wrote this is is that not
2: not true? Am I insinuating it? Come on, Gary. <laughs> uh, I mean, let's be real. Now, I was being nice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you are infatuated with the fact that this is a, a lobbyist bill as opposed to a representative bill. Now, don't that- get me
2: wrong. There's some social equity programs in here. So I would not be surprised if one of our allied organizations, like Minorities for Medical Marijuana, had a hand in helping craft this. But if they did, Cheryl, DJ, one of y'all, let us know, Eric, let us know what's up with this. Because some of this is cool and some of this is like, eh, I can tell someone who's not, a, a like you, like we said earlier, stoners versus suits. It doesn't feel like a stoner had their hands on this bill to the it, extent it It sounds be. like
0: a fucking suit's trying to drive a stoner crazy. Like, I'm sitting here quiet this whole time, but I'm, like, thinking, like, five grams of concentrate. I want fucking six, dude. <laughs> well, right you now, know? if you have one gram yeah. of, of
1: concentrate and it's, it hasn't got a label on it and it's still in a sealed container, you've just committed a felony. Yeah, For for just a single gram of concentration,
2: even a half gram of concentration. Here's something else. um, The department shall issue 75 conditional adult use dispensing organization licenses before May 1st, 2023. 75? Yeah. No way in heck
1: can our, our OMMU actually have the infrastructure... Or even the wherewithal to be able to knock that out because they haven't been able to put in four.
0: Tired of those. In the, in the last five years. I'm tired of that though. Like they're, they're, they're making a demand, they're, they're, they're shortening a supply there. That's all they're doing. We're so overworked. Oh my gosh. You know, it's, we have to charge these black people twice as much for a license because it's so hard the last time we did it for the white people. Like that's I mean, they're 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 basically saying that they're you know, their job is so difficult. They want to charge more money. They want to take their time. They don't want to fucking uh, they don't want to do their job. That's what they're that's essentially what the office. Of, we need to hire Gary Stein as a head of that department.
1: Uh, I accept that responsibility
0: you, because but i, I think you know would be able is. you you would be able to of course you need to know how much you're going to get paid first gary <laughs> i'm a damn <laughs> capitalist
1: for god's sake! i can't <laughs> i can't
0: survive on karma i'm sorry but i believe you're a communist now because you just spend all this time talking about karl marx and i didn't really let's talk to about exactly karl marx a little said. bit longer <laughs> but gary hold, hold on with uh right. if you if you gary stein run the Department of Medical Marijuana Use here in Florida, right? And you run it under socialist, communist principles. You would be able to get more than fucking five licenses a day out. I'm sorry. You would. You would. Absolutely. You, you, Gary Stein. Not Gary Stein and a team of people. but not socialist You, Gary Stein, would be able to accept the checks, look at the company, right? Provi- look at all the information that the company has provided you, you would be able to, in a day, at least, get five licenses out. Correct.
1: Okay. So, I, I, what the fuck is the deal with this fucking office of medical marijuana? Because people in Florida have to make things as complicated as possible. The average application that went that was um, put in in 2015 had gone anywhere from 800 to 1100 uh, 1100 pages.
0: The problem is, is that we don't accept we we don't tax medicine in Florida. So the only way that we're going to to get any money out of this is through the licensing process.
1: Well, let's talk about the licensing process because it's about to be convoluted one more time. Okay. We have a situation where again we are dealing with the fact that the bourgeoisie, which are which are the people who, who have more money, who actually have the ability to influence politicians to do what they ask to do as in through the lobbyist situation can actually control it far more than the proletariat which is our, our us working folks who try to work, squeak out you know a little bit every single day and so we don't have we don't have the ability to change the laws but when, but when the bourgeoisie does mm. then they can control it in their way and if their goal is to make the most amount of profit for themselves and for their, their stockholders as opposed to doing the best for their patients then we have issues and problems I see what you're doing here Gary you see what I'm doing here?
0: B- bourgeoisie suits. The bourgeoisie, yeah. The proletariat suits. The
1: we're talking, that's stoners. exactly right. So I get it. Listen up, bourgeois suits. <laughs> we, I'm a proletariat. We, we need it. That's right. <laughs> we need a more egalitarian society when it comes to this because somebody has to level the playing field and actually consider the needs, the essential needs of the, the patients out there. And that's what we are basically working very hard to do, especially in the regards to the laws that we are working on right now in Tallahassee with the Patient Protection Act and the Employee Protection Act, where we're actually going back to taking care of the patients themselves and not so worried about regulating the hell out of the product, which is exactly what almost all these laws right now are basically doing. And they don't regulate other products like that. I saw the other day a Anheuser-Busch family pack, they call it a family pack, of beer with 99 cans. And as Greg, as somebody mentioned, there should have been 99 bottles, right? And put them on the wall. But the fact was, you can buy 99 cans of beer, no problem. But you have 29 uh, 29 grams when they say you can't have any more than an ounce and you're in trouble. Something the whole family can enjoy. Something the whole family can enjoy. (laughs) Bring the kids. We'll put SpongeBob on the beer cans. Let's pass them around. But you call your weed strain gushers. Yeah. But here we have a chance, supposedly, to get one minority license through this Pigford Black Farmers Bill, which it starts out, number one, with a very constrained class of people. You have to be in, in the Pigford class, and at one point in time, you also had to be one of the there's Black like, Farmers Association folks.
0: There's like seven people that qualify, though. Uh, But there's like seven organized, like, I I believe I read that somewhere. Yeah. And, (laughs) but it's like the Pickford people is only so, so limited within Florida. And the fact that you're charging so much money, a lot of those guys, like, there's only eight people that are affiliated with Pickford in Florida. I'm saying shit you already
1: know. Well, I was talking with Senator Brandis about this, and I was complaining about the application fee. And he said, at the end of the day, $142,000 is not going to make a damn bit of difference if these people actually need about $40 million to get their whole whole process going, and where the heck are they going to get that money? Mm. As folks of color who have been beaten down for many, many years, who have not had as, as profitable of a farm as they would like to have, do they have that kind of liquidity, or do they have access to the capital? And the answer to that, they have access to the capital, but it's not their money. It's OPM, other people's money. And that means that there'll be somebody backing up these folks, and it might look like a minority license in the front, but in the back, you'll see it all whitewashed. Mm. Because that's where all the big money is coming from right now. And there are a lot of major funders right now who are not of a minority status, who are not people of color, who are
2: pushing to help these people get their licenses. Well, the first big fight, Gary, you know, it's interesting that you say this because I'm reading this HB 549, this bill that you brought up today. that legalizes adult use. And I actually want to pick it apart a little bit because it does go to show that it feels like there is a, a setup in the grand scheme of things. So in order to get one of these 75 adult use licenses, um, the, the office of alcoholic beverages, marijuana and tobacco use is going to rate these people. So it's not, it's not necessarily the Department of Health. And and you know, the they're, they're gonna award a two hundred up to a 250 point system per application. And and they break down in several sections. So I'm on the bottom of page 65 of this 432 <laughs> page bill just to get to the scoring section. And looking here at the scoring, uh they're gonna award up to 15 points for suitability of an employee training plan. They're going to award 65 points for security and record keeping. They're going to award 65 points for the applicant's business plan, financials and operating and floor plan. They're going to award 30 points for knowledge and experience. And that says that they have to demonstrate experience and qualifications in business management or experience within the cannabis industry. Now, that clearly does not mean the legacy market. Uh and, 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 and there's bonus, you know, it says like this includes ensuring optimal safety and accuracy in the dispensing and sale of cannabis. So that means that the existing uh folks are already going to have, you know, 30 points up on everybody else. Yeah, and, basically. And then, you know, there is status as a social equity equity applicant. That's up to 50 points uh, if you meet the social equity applicant. Uh, Part in in this chapter, and then you are going to get five points for labor employment practices five points for an an environmental plan five points if 51% or more of your uh, Of your ownership are Florida residents Uh, five points if you're out if you're 51% or more of your ownership is uh, veterans Uh, five points if you write a diversity plan of not more than 2500 words to establish a goal of diversity and ownership management and employment and how you treat uh, diverse people. That's three type pages, guys. (laughs) The department can also award up to two bonus points if you plan to engage with the community. And that is not limited to establishing an incubator program to increase participations of social equity applicants in the cannabis industry. Provide financial assistance to substance abuse treatment centers educate children and teens about the potential harms of cannabis use. Now The question is, how much
1: of this has to be written in law? I mean, a lot of those things that you just read off right now used to be done as rules and regulations through OMMU when they're, when they're given the process to build. They had to create all those rules and then to go to workshop, make certain other people have, have public input and things of that sort. But what Umphrey is doing here is she's putting it, uh, hopefully to be codified by, in, into law. As opposed to going through the whole regular uh, rule and regulation development process, which has far more input oh, from the, the public.
2: Look, I'm getting to the meat of this. I'm only on page seventy-three, Gary, and I just found something that says, "At no time shall the department issue more than five hundred adult use dispensary organization licenses." So we found the cap. The cap statewide: yes. five hundred adult use licenses. And that, in in most states, is a
1: is a low number. I mean, right now we got 103 true leaves in this state. Mm. So think about, you can't have any more than five true leaves and the state is done as far as the entire adult use market. Will that really allow the market to have full access all across the state? It's a big state. With with 22 million people here, plus 120 million tourists that could possibly use an adult use market, that's not going to be enough to cover it. They're not going to have enough canopy to be able to even grow that much to have that if they, if they don't build out enough. But I, I guess the big question here, and I don't, know, I don't know if it's fully addressed in the bill or not, is what exactly is social equity? Because we throw this name, this word around a lot, but a lot of people don't really know exactly what it entails. In part, we talk about the fact that we need to, to take care of those folks who have been uh, disproportionately affected by the war on drugs. And... <clears throat> People have gone ahead and folded it over to say this is basically a thing of people of color versus people of non-color, as far as as far as who those groups are. But in fact, we have proletariat in all those categories. There is a lot of folks who are of lower and middle class who'd love to get in this business, who'd like to get to make their their dream a reality. And yet, this says right here, no, you're not going to be even be considered because you're not a person of color. Then you can't possibly even get access to social equity even if you were somebody like chris who got arrested just for trying to take care of his father now if we if if, if chris got a, a license would it be considered a minority license that's that's a good question
2: well I, I may be melanin challenged but but, <laughs> but but that does not mean that as a as a as a latino as a hispanic american as a cuban american i could not necessarily apply for a a minority license, especially considering uh, how the Latino and and Cuban American community has been hit by the war on drugs, just like the African American community has been hit by the war on drugs. Um, You know, what what I have issue with is after reading through this bill, Gary, it seems like there is existing, um, you know, MMTCs it feels like they're the existing suits behind this. Cause as you, as you pointed out a lot of things that were taken up in the rules are now being explicitly outlined in statute, which means that someone who went through this process clearly is helping write how the process should look in the future.
1: Absolutely. And again, anybody who applies for it has to have the fiscal capability to be able to, to build, build, build this up to scale, which is very difficult for people who, who are coming from a, a point of a, uh, we don't have the money, we're, we're the stoners, not the suits. So <clears throat> these the, the suits have to get involved in some shape or form. Now, when we were back there in 2013, working on the entire framework for this whole industry, one of the things that was brought up more than once was that you have to follow the money. You have to see where the money is coming from because otherwise you will have various parts of the economy, the world economy, coming in to control the market. And that, that, that does happen to an extent here in Florida where people have really really no idea where the money is coming from that these people are using to build their infrastructure. They get, they get a piece here and a piece there as far as finance is concerned, but it doesn't come from one person. It never does. Now, I'm not saying that, that folks of color should not have their licenses. licenses. Definitely, definitely, I believe that we sh- anybody who can grow should grow and be able to make it regardless of, of who you are. But these, these people are, have been disproportionately affected by the war on drugs, and so therefore we're concentrating on them. But this it it is also a class structure, a class structure too. Folks in the middle and lower class, they just can't afford to get into the industry, regardless of what color they are. And sure. what we, we what we've offered so far, which is really not really fair, is one is is one black license, one black millionaire. Out of out of the the twenty three licenses that would be there after that one gets done, uh, is that equity M- or is that tokenism?
2: Multi millionaire. I mean, let, let's be real. Yeah. It's going to cost a million just to get through the process. Not not even to have a nursery that grows four hundred plants to do all the marketing, to set up the retail uh, establishments, to go through the the county level zoning processes and, and licensing to get your 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 storefront set up. You know, um, one of the things I'm looking at this bill, Gary, on page twelve, it says cannabis business establishment. It defines that as a cultivation center, a craft grower, a processing organization, a dispensing organization, or a transporting organization. And this 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 def- definition of craft grower means a facility operated by an organization or business that is licensed by the department to cultivate dry cure package cannabis and perform other necessary activities to make it available for sale at a dispensing organization or use at a processing facility.
1: So basically a grower and wholesaler,
2: you know, they got to call it a craft grower, um, a craft grower may contain up to 5,000 square feet of canopy canopy space on its premises for plants in the flowering state so that that's essentially the difference between a craft grower cuz um uh, you know currently the everything's vertically integrated and they got to be able to grow at least 400,000 plants right a craft grower is someone who obviously can significantly grow a lot less so here's this too is that they're creating uh, a an, an licensing structure which like you said Gary you know if you can't afford to be the big dog you can get in as a craft grower but they're already picking winners and losers in this system you know
1: yeah, that's, a, that's the thing about government, especially when, it, when they overregulate a market. They do control who are the winners and who are the losers, and that is not a free market. When, when, when the, uh, the government is picking the winners and losers, that's closer to socialism <laughs> because at least they're, they're spreading out the wealth between their friends, not exactly the, the general public. But that, that is where it stands. And then social equity is supposed to be more than just who owns the licenses too. It's, it's, it's who gives back to the communities who have been affected and how that, that money is being given back to those communities. That means if you have a uh, organization that is owned by veterans a, as a minority license, they should be doing something to help out with homeless veterans or people who can't afford their licenses and things of that sort. That is a social equity program. In essence, that is in line with the people who actually run that particular license. And that's what we had hoped for. But That's not always what we get. And that, that is the situation. Now, I did create that home grow bill uh, that allows you to create these uh, cultivation centers where people can go there and they can home grow in a container in their own space with expert tutelage, and they can get the best quality stuff that's being grown because they have they have oversight. That allows them to get the best product out there, and the people who run that can use that those funds to help out with social equity projects as well. That that's that's one of the things I put in there as it, it is a social equity program as well because just being able to home grow itself is a, is a is a social equity bill because most people can't afford it, but they can afford to grow it.
2: So they're going to allow up to forty craft growers under this this bill by July first of twenty twenty three. Yeah. Now, question is: Will this bill ever see the light of the day? As
1: far as a, a committee is concerned,
2: no, absolutely not. This bill ain't going nowhere. <laughs> so this, this
1: is this is an exercise in futility, is what you're
2: saying? Yeah, I, and 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 not to disparage the efforts of of Representative Onfroy for stepping up to the plate and using one of her bill slots to to support this important issue. But um, when I was meeting with uh, you know leadership in in other um, other offices. Uh, with some of our other chapters, uh, namely normal of Florida and, and normal of Tallahassee, uh, when they brought up the whole social equity, it was a foreign concept. It was like, what? It's like the, the, the leadership in the Florida legislature doesn't even understand what social equity means in the cannabis space, much in the same way. They don't understand what critical race theory means when it comes to education. <laughs> they have no, right. it's just a boogeyman. It's like, what does that mean? You know, it, 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 means that, you know, black and brown people should have a, a little bit more of a step up in getting into the industry, especially since black and brown communities have been shitted on by the war on drugs. That's what social equity means at its core. And, 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 and let's be real. Um, the Florida GOP has never been in favor of any type of affirmative action, uh, in any type of way. So I don't, I don't foresee social equity being something that's, that's going to be a priority. And a 432-page bill, you know, if it's a Democrat putting it out, it's too complicated. But if this was a Republican putting this forward, uh, you might actually see something move on it. Well, I expect to see something uh,
1: being stuck into the uh, Department of Health bill from Rodriguez. I know there's a couple of things that are already in there, including the fact that he gets to go ahead and, and sample uh, <clears throat> delivery devices. To to, for, to check for safety, you know, which I said is, is is good in some aspects because there's a lot of bad cartridges out there. But you know, I, you would really have to have to study the the safety of a spoon pipe. Well, I mean, what I want to what I want to point
2: saying, out this is, is my that,
0: time to shine, guys. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, well, Carlos, before we move on, this bill here does nothing to change um, a lot of the existing penalties that we have in this state. As a matter of fact, I, I, I went down here to. fucking page is this page 295 and it still does not change the fact that 28 grams or more but less than 200 grams is a mandatory minimum prison sentence of three years in florida so this is not doing anything to change the existing uh, structure that we have it's amazing that the government spends
1: more time working on punitive measures as opposed to helpful measures I mean, if we really want to have social equity, then we should have somebody who can help those people who want to get into the industry to do well. What would be so hard to have folks in the government who can sit down with you and say, all right, this is what you need to do to be successful in your business, and we're going to help you get there. That would would be excellent as opposed to saying, you know, you're going to have to go find somebody who has a lot more money than you do to control your business for you, and whatever they want to do is just fine. Because that's essentially what's going to be happening right now.
0: Don't don't you guys just get tired of it, though? Like, I'm I'm just so sick of it. Yeah. It's just um, – imagine how surprised we'd be if we came in one Sunday morning and Gary is just like, oh, man, the people we voted for, they care about the people of Florida. <laughs> they want to give the people of Florida the opportunity to be a part of this industry.
1: I had that dream the other night, don't, but then again, I turned into an alligator and I and – I, uh... <laughs> I ate four bats for breakfast, <laughs> but that—that that thats that, that just not going to happen. Now there was an no, equity meeting. How in, does that?
0: How does that happen? How does that happen? Though? How do we vote these people in? How do we vote these people that just like, well, don't
1: give a shit? That's, that's about... politics. That's politics.
2: Uh, Carlos, I will tell you, two two systemic issues we have in Florida. Number one, we don't have runoffs in our primaries. So with our primaries in Florida being winner take all. Essentially, if there were like three candidates in a race, someone only needs to get 34% of the vote to win. So you don't even need a majority of people to elect someone. And if that's in a, a district that is slanted to one party or the other, there's not even going to be a general election challenge. So one of the issues in Florida is that we don't have a majority electing people in our primaries. So you get really shitty candidates who just need enough money to fend off the people in their party. And a lot of times the folks who have the most money in the primary are the ones winning. And and if that means they have the most money, it also means they have the most donations. And then you gotta go look and see who's donating to their campaign. The second thing again is that, is that in Florida, businesses can donate to you. In Congress, that's why they have PACs because businesses legally cannot donate as a business to a a candidate. But in Florida, businesses can write you a check, no different than, than than a regular citizen can write you a check. And, and they can do it so where there's no tracking as well,
1: depending on the, uh, the the structure of the business itself.
2: Yeah. So I mean, Carlos, to be real, if you wanted as Chillum to start writing out checks to certain candidates to influence certain elections, you could. Mm-hmm. You know, no different than True leave is donating money to to slimeball uh, uh, elected officials that that I can't stand.
1: Now, know? two Tuesdays ago, we actually had a uh, a Senate president actually get ousted from his own seat from somebody who ran against him who only spent around 106, 175
2: bucks. Well, that's New Jersey <laughs> and anything is possible in New Jersey with, with enough, with a, you know, <laughs> with enough gumption, right? Well, he didn't have enough money, but he, and he probably
1: doesn't have enough uh, uh, education or not education, but necessarily experience to be able to do the job properly. And that, that brings us to, to the next point that I have. I mean, it is not enough just to be a minority, to be successful in this business. You have to have some kind of tutelage, you have to have some kind of expertise behind you. And I was in uh, in Nevada the other day, that well, I was on, on virtually anyway, and they were having a social equity meeting trying to work on their policy and they're saying, well, if a person's grandfather was uh, incarcerated for cannabis, does that mean that the grandsons can go ahead and start a business? They're, they're trying to find any way to go ahead and categorize these things. And you have to have more than just a familial situation in regards to somebody who has been adversely reacted. You have to have expertise, and to be honest with you, a lot of the folks in the legacy market, they have the expertise, and in many cases, they are they are still a, a, have minority status. But will they be able to get to the level where they can actually get a license?
2: i mean you know that's what we were saying about here in dc is that you have that where these folks are in this gray market building brands for themselves you know uh dealing with customers some even have storefronts some have delivery services you know uh capitalism is working you know what the issue is is that you know are those folks paying taxes and that's the that's the where this all stems back to is taxes is what the government wants out of its cannabis system. And that's why you see, uh, certain veterans groups going so hard against these, um, federally legal bills that they're pushing because of the taxing structures and that that's what we're seeing in California right now. That's what we're seeing on the west coast in other states like Oregon and Washington is that they're taxing consumers out of the legal market and folks are going back to the legacy market because they don't want to pay all these taxes, you know, on, on their medicine. Mm-hmm.
1: and let's be certain that the folks who, who, who have gotten involved a lot of times are silly white folks with money i'm sorry but that's just the way it's. If you take a look at the names of the strains that are out there and some of the brands that are out there you realize that these are not quite adults that are putting this thing together like the the nerd ropes what look exactly like nerd ropes you can buy in, in the supermarket or when they have a, a uh, <clears throat> one called grandpa's breath that's something along those lines, or, or some of these bizarre, strain names. It doesn't sound like these, like these guys are being are being serious, just having too much fun.
2: Well, that's the other it's, thing, I too, mean, Gary. It's,
0: it's, uh, it's, I, I think there's a big difference between being informal and being unprofessional. And I think a lot of these guys may be professionals and they may be doing, doing their job correctly, but they're a little informal and they call their strain garlic's breath or something like that. I don't think it's, it's too much to, you know, they, they get judged a little uh, uh, unfairly because of that, but. I would
1: expect the strain to actually taste like garlic though. It does.
2: Does it really? It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I've had (laughs) garlic's breath. It just depends on, on, you know, that goes back to it too. Like cannabis strains um, you know, and, and, Carlos, you've taught this before that there's the genotype and the phenotype, so you can have the same genetics, but d- depending on the growing conditions can produce a plant with different flavor profiles and, in different colors. And it can still genetically be the same plant as, as some of these other strains. Now, when it comes to strain names, we're also getting into an area where, um, for example, gorilla glue, you're, you're now having copyright issues with existing products and companies and trademarks that, you know, in a legacy market, that was okay. It's like, Hey man, what's that? Oh, this is that gorilla glue. This is have you stuck, right? It's like goddamn
0: and, Girl Scouts of America.
2: Yeah. Like Girl, girl Scout, cookies, <laughs> you know, girl, thin mint Girl Scout cookies, you know? And then Girl Scouts of America is like, oh no, no, no. You're gonna have to pay up. That's copyright infringement. So, you know, at, these are all issues that the legal market's gonna have to adapt around and, and, and deal with moving forward. But I say this much to wrap things up before we move on to Carlos's uh, product review is that, Oh,
0: I, I don't have a,
2: Oh, just pick uh, a product, pick a product. Carlos, any product, <laughs> pick a product, pay, do one for the dogs. We all love puppies. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do something
1: else. I'll be right back. Pick all your, right. pick your
2: favorite hemp flower. No, but, but as Carlos is, is getting down, the COA. Yeah. Um, you know, looking at businesses moving forward, uh, you know, you're going to have to ha- be creative gonna to have to get people's attention and you're gonna to have to do it in ways that's not gonna cost you money with lawsuits and and we're seeing lawsuits from different things you're seeing lawsuits from uh existing trademark infringement you're seeing lawsuits around making something that looks appealing to kids like you were saying gary they got stoner patch kids not sour patch kids that they sell, and you know, some people are like, "Oh, well, that's marketing." Kids can get confused on that, and yes, that's true. We had there was a kid up in Jacksonville went to his mom's sock drawer and was like, "Oh, look, mommy's got Sour Patch Kids." No, mommy's got Stoner Patch Kids in her sock drawer.
1: You know, yeah, and, and chocolate bars is it's called Mr. Goodweed, Mr. Goodweed, the exact same color, the exact same uh, font, the whole bit. Yeah, lot, I mean that, that's what I mean by unprofessional or or at least um, not mature because mature folks in the business know that there is such a thing as intellectual property and copyright laws yeah. that you have to adhere to and understand the fact that if the government sees you selling your product to kids and you're not tobacco, they are going to go after you. And
0: and that definitely go <laughs> on for years, you know. That definitely is unprofessional. Uh, I'll agree with you on that.
1: I mean, we have that one strain over the West Coast, Skittles with a Z, because <laughs> that makes it different. And the Wrigley Company, who, by the way, owns Soterra, is suing them for copyright infringement for the name, because God forbid they should have a uh, a cannabis that a, a, a is named like one of their
2: products. Ah, well, we'll see in the grand scheme of things how that shakes out, because I'll be surprised if Soterra starts selling Skittles once they win that lawsuit. <laughs> I can see that happening. Yep. So They're Carlos, gonna... you you got a lot of different products there at the shop. You know a lot of things that folks come in and check out. So tell us about uh, the product that you got to show off for folks today. As we um, got.
0: I I have a product that last week Gary Stein said is extremely illegal, <laughs>
1: <laughs> as opposed to partially illegal. Yeah,
0: as, a, as opposed to partially illegal. But I have some Delta Nine THC hemp gummies here,
1: and you feel like breaking the law, Gary? Me? Yeah. I never break the law, <laughs> except, except those five times yesterday. But honestly, I don't think it shall press charges.
0: So um, let's, let's move on now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, Delta 9 THC being the component in cannabis, the cannabinoid in cannabis that gets you high. We've seen in uh, the CBD business arise by the whole concept of 0.3% delta nine THC. As long as the product has less than 0.3% delta nine THC on a dry weight basis, a dry weight basis, then the product will be illegal. Yeah, I mean, how legal. Legal. A, how do you so,
1: how do you get a gummy with dry weight? Then,
0: um, hold on, Gary. <laughs> Then we started seeing all these different THC products and different cannabinoid uh, products come out with Delta 8 THC being the big guy, um, Delta 10 THCO, and Gary's uh, dreaded THCP. <laughs> um, but this Delta, this Delta 9 is a new way of uh, approaching the topic, and I'll just tell you how this is legal. Um, so each gummy weighs 7.35 grams. 7,350 milligrams and can legally have up to 22 milligrams of Delta-9 THC to be within the legal Delta-9 THC limit of 0.3% with the 2018 Farm Bill.
1: So basically, it it is an eighth in in weight.
0: No. um, They're also really heavy. Yeah. So yeah, that's a very dry... Gummy, right, right, Gary. <laughs>
1: yeah, it, it, it's 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 well. You, you say dry weight. I would hate to have a gummy that's totally dried out because then you'd have like no liquid in it.
0: A very heavy gummy.
1: What's what's the fat content?
0: Um, Are they vegetarian? Are they no. made with
1: pectin or gelatin?
0: Both. I'm breaking my vegetarianism. <laughs> there is a vegetarian one coming out. What? There's like nothing in here. Four grams of sugar 1 gram of protein 3 grams of sodium 26 calories all right
1: so 26 calories
0: the ingredients are hemp derived delta 9 thc corn syrup (laughs) sugar water gelatin citric acid artificial flavorings lactic acid and pectin and i'm not gonna go over the rest because they're horrible dyes
1: lactic acid
0: so this is not a natural gummy um now we're getting uh uh vegetarian ones in later um we've got the herb gummies over there that are actually vegetarian i wish basic. you call
1: them gummies and not soft chews
0: uh um, do, do you feel guilty about that i can do whatever i want because i'm not regulated <laughs> by the office of
1: medical marijuana Use. isn't that amazing it sounds like freedom <laughs> oh, well after nikki
0: freed is out of office we'll see what happens you <laughs> need your gummy gary no not yeah. yet you're not gonna get high not yet okay
1: well, I still gotta drive home. They're
0: delicious. But, but, they but, but, taste but, 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 uh like get cherry. Home, They taste like cherry here, put it back in the back. All right. Uh they t- like peach t- They taste like cherries and pina coladas. Ooh. And each one has ten milligrams. That ten milligrams is not gonna do much to me, but it's gonna get this guy very stoned.
1: I'm not as green as you think I am, but I do have at least a little bit of tolerance. <laughs> I've, been, I've been I've been using it longer than you've been born.
0: Uh, what
1: Whatever that works. If you yeah.
0: don't I, use it, you lose it, yeah, Gary. Yeah. I
1: was using it before <laughs> you were born. When all they had was Mexican brickweed, Thai stick, Acapulco Red, Panama red rather, Acapulco Gold. Yes. Yeah, Gary my, has my, my grandmother, a lot of told, shit me, this my grandmother
2: told me about that Panama red back in the seventies, Gary. And, so, and and I'm nah, so that so that I wasn't living in Florida, I didn't, didn't see didn't see
1: yeah.
0: You want to talk about a dryway basis. The shit was dry, flew in the plane <laughs> over here. <laughs> threw it in the ocean,
1: yeah. wrapped yeah, you guys in a garbage yeah, bag. You guys That's had no, a, square to root do root a lot
0: root. to like smoke shitty weed, you, you know. But well,
1: it was so, all imported then, right? <laughs> <laughs> Except for all stuff that was being grown in the in the public in the, in the national parks and stuff. But no. yeah, it was coming from Mexico. It was coming from Colombia, basically, and you and know, they up rather
2: yeah. surreptitiously. It's crazy. You know, you're talking about all this, how like, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, you had to go through so much just to smoke shitty weed. And now we're having, you know, celebrating cannabis festivals with legal MMTCs, you know, here in Florida at the Strawberry Festival Fairgrounds. And I I think that's uh, interesting, you know, coming up this weekend uh, is a big uh, uh, Florida cannabis, uh, the Sunshine State Florida Cannabis Festival. Great segue. yeah, at the Florida Strawberry Festival Fairgrounds, you're gonna, you know, hear from, uh, you know, local uh, groups and, and this artists. There's uh, lectures on cannabis. You'll hear from, you know, canna moms, veterans, and you'll see different vendors and out there. So, you know, get on out there, uh, check it out. Uh, again, this is progress. And so, uh, I, you know, I think it's interesting that we're, we're getting to a point where you can actually host an event at a legitimate venue like the uh, Strawberry Festival Fairgrounds. Uh, you know, I would like to see one day a real, you know, high times or cannabis cup at the Florida State Fairgrounds, where you know they'll have tents set up with dab rigs available and such. You know, we're all gonna get there one day, Florida, but it's not gonna be today. <laughs> now, you
1: guys got to you know that High Times does have a presence here in Florida. Uh, the the former acreage license, uh, which was sold to Red White and Bloom, is now called HT Medical. Mm. HT meaning High Times. Gary, what do we got to do to get there? Maybe join the movement. Yeah, you have to join the movement. That's what it's all about. You have to be a part of Sun Coast Normal. you have to be a part of the change. In order to do that, you we need your talent and your treasure and your time. And, but you, at least your treasure. Just give us your money. And we'll start out with $25 just and give you'll us get your money. And you'll get this fabulous gold pin because we are the rule makers. I'm just if kidding. The golden rule. People who have treasure. the golden pin make the rules.
0: <laughs> you can give us your talent or time too. Absolutely. We accept that. Because we need
1: folks to come over and give tell a story to Tallahassee. We can't. We can't
0: understand the situation on a, on a human level. Legitimately, you know, I'm just trying to make up for what I just said here. We can't legitimately ask you for only treasure if we just spent an entire show talking about how stoners don't have money.
1: Now, my guess <laughs> so... is that this is not the first gummy ring you've had a chance to try.
0: No, it's uh,
1: two hundred milligrams of ours. So this is the first gummy ring today. Um, so in your in your past experience, uh, uh, what did you? How did they get it compared against other soft shoes that we have on the market from MMTCs or like Delta Eight gummies? They they're,
0: they're uh, pretty much the same, just heavier. That's it. <laughs>
1: what, what, what's That's all the, what, I got. What's, what's the time to onset?
0: The time an hour and a half. Hour wow. hour and a half. It's different per person, Gary.
1: I I could drive to, like, Gainesville.
0: That guy was, like,
1: looking in on here.
0: Um, (laughs) But, yeah, so, Gary, let's go. Uh, we got to end the show. It's an hour and seven minutes. We've done everything we need to do.
1: Yeah. Go to suncoastnormal.org. Become a member and we will take you to Tallahassee with us, and you can help make the
0: rules. Are you going to Gainesville? Is that what you're trying to say?
1: Uh, If I take one of those things, I want to to time it properly. Take
0: it. I have some T C O gummies for next week.
1: Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This has been The Rotation, and you have been a part of it. You can be a bigger part of it by joining Suncoast Normal. Suncoast Normal is an organization that can help you make the change that we all need. Go to the Suncoast Normal website and become a member, because that is how you become part of the change. You can find The
0: Rotation Podcast on both SoundCloud and iTunes but you can always join us in the rotation at suncoastnormal.org. At that very website, you can join the cannabis movement by becoming a member of Suncoast Normal, gain access to cannabis events, cannabis info, Normal's legal network, and even a free membership to National. all by joining Suncoast Normal. That website, again, is suncoastnormal.org. You can also find us on social media at Normal. Uh, Find us on both Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And thank you, Gary,
1: and good night. Good night.